Hello, podcasters. Welcome back to Mr. Stroud's history class. Now that we have the Spanish in America, we have the French in America, it's time to bring the English. And as I mentioned with the voyage of Columbus, and I think again with the voyage of Verrazano, whether it was just simply coincidence or superstition, go with the best, all of those initial voyages of discovery were conducted by Italian sailors. And the one for England is an Italian by the name with the anglicized spelling John Cabot. Dr. Morrison, who is my go-to historian on all voyages to America, believes that he may have been in port when Columbus came sailing back from his initial and most famous voyage. And then after talking to him, they decided that he would do Columbus one better. How do you do Columbus one better? Well, you go to where he's trying to get to, but you go by a shorter route. And he was pretty darn sure he knew what that route was. He went to see the Spanish king. No, they already had Columbus. Didn't need another one. And then he went to Portugal. No, they don't need you. And then he realized that England, being the furthest from the spices and therefore having to pay the most, would be maybe more interested in the short route to the east. So he goes to London. A Spanish ambassador in April of 1493, reported that, and this, my many lingual friends would have to forgive me, Uno, Como, Colon, which according to Dr. Morrison is translated, a man like Columbus. That was our John Cabbage. And so he goes to see Henry VII. And the illustration that I have on my Facebook is John holding the map and showing Henry VII the route that he has proposed. And John was correct. Henry VII is in. He's in. He's in. But how much does John expect? What's the price, John? Podcasters, listen to this. Zero. It would not call Henry the Seventh one my money cent his own expense. How in the world can you turn that down? Well, Henry could not turn that down, and so he didn't, and he gave him a patent letter, which I will quote from part of it. Our well-beloved John Cabot, citizen of Venice, and to Louis, Sebastian, and Santis, sons of the said John, full and free authorities, leave and powers to sail to all parts, countries, and seas, 
of the ensign with five ships and as many mariners or men as they will have with them and the said ships upon their own proper cost and charges to seek out, discover, and find whatsoever isles, countries, regions, or provinces of the heathen and infidels whatsoever they be, and in what part of the world that before this time be unknown to all Christians, they may govern these newly found lands as the king's lieutenants, monopolies duty-free, and paying the crown the fifth part of the capital gained so gotten. Now, this also violated a papal bull by Pope Alexander VI, which in his wisdom had drawn a line 100 leagues west of the Azores and given all of the land west of that line to Spain. However, they apparently could care less about that. John would be going on a northern voyage. Not much is known of John, but we do know that in 1497, with five ships, and he being on the flagship Matthew, spelled with one T, and followed by four other ships, they left Bristol on May 20th, 1497, if you're marking your calendar for John Day. And 35 days later, sailing north, they spot land, which is Bristol Island. Now, looking on a map, and if you can find his voyage, which I'm sure you can, you're going to see that he comes in just at the northern tip of what we now call Newfoundland, and there is the Gulf of the St. Lawrence. There it is, people. Although it's going to be many years later, Cartier will be in the same place. Now, he does not mention this Gulf. He does not mention that opening. Why? Well, Dr. Morrison, who remembers sails all of these voyages, said that it's plain. I'm going to remind you of something that I said when I was doing Verrazano. I was doing Verrazano in a night class, and that was many years ago, and I'd just gotten to the part of Verrazano's voyage where he wrote down that he had seen the Pacific Ocean from the East Coast, and I remember that lady that was upset because she could not believe that he had not landed, explored to make sure, but rather just sailed off. And so I told her, I can remember, podcasters, it was time for the break. And I said, I brought Dr. Morrison's book. I'll check and see what he says. I did that, and I told her, he just sailed on. He didn't do it. It could have been mainly because of the mud. It but I also at it, too. Verrazano was not one bit concerned about what we would think and ask about him not landing hundreds of years later. However, Dr. Morrison, I believe, has a better answer to why John did not sail into the Gulf 
of what is later the St. Lawrence. And this is why it's important to go to these places if you can. He didn't see it. He didn't see it. Fog. Too much fog. Or, how do we know what John saw? We don't. But there's another reason, too. Ice. Ice podcasters. But John makes no record of the fog. No, no, no ice at all. If the ice is there in preventing him from sailing to the South Sea, the Pacific, why didn't he just note that down? I know it's Old English, but let's see, it's I-C-E, even if you got two E's on it. Ready, podcasters? You ready? We're going to go all the way back to the Vikings. Who put the green in Greenland? Leif Erikson. Who put the grapes in Vineland? Erikson Leaf. That's why Cabot made no mention of the ass. Ass is because of cold weather. He wants to colonize. And so he has no mention of ass. The same reason that Leif Erikson had green in Greenland. But his ass not, he does not go down the St. Lawrence. He sails south and he comes along the eastern coast of Newfoundland. He sails all the way down. Now, some unknown spot he did land, and he claimed that land for Henry and King England land. We don't know where it was. There's no historical marker. We don't even know where to put one. I guess that wouldn't stop you just put one, because that's as good a guess as any. But he didn't land any other time. Now, why would he not land? Well, it could have been that he only has a few men, not very many, and it was customary if they did land to go no further inland than you could fire a crossbow from the ship. Whatever that range was was as far as you're going to go in. But Dr. Morrison believes there's another reason, too. Mosquitoes, which were reported to be the size of chickens and would come and get you and feast off of you. Now, who wants to walk around with those mosquitoes the size of chickens? Well, not John Cabot, no. And so he continues on and he sails all the way down the eastern coast of what we now know as Newfoundland. And then he turned back, and he resailed his initial voyage so that he would leave and head back to England from about the same spot that he had discovered land at the northern part of Newfoundland or Belle Island. 
This was, he said later, going to be nothing but a reconnaissance. And then he sails back, making even a better time going back than he did coming over about 16 days. Remember how Columbus was greeted when he got back from that initial voyage? Well, you just take that to England. That's the way John Cabot was greeted. He was a hero, podcasters. A hero. And he reported to Henry VII he had found a new owl. And Henry VII called it New Found Island until 1505 when he started calling it. Now these will be three words. New found land. Unknown to any Christian prince because it was a new found land. And Dr. Morrison has a way with words. He said in England, once something is new, it stays new forever. Newfound land is still newfound land. It's just that we simply squeeze those three words together. New England is still New England. And in honor of my favorite son-in-law, Gerard, my new Ranger pickup truck, which I've only driven for six years, is still new. It stays new forever. He gave John a reward. Now, in Morrison's book, it has exactly how much that reward is. Podcasters. I have no idea what that is. For two reasons. I believe it's the symbol for pounds. And what was a pound in 1498? What would that be today? That's why I really like the historian that did the biography on De Soto and the treasure of Antwapa. And he calculated what that treasure would be worth in 19, I believe it was 1998. All I know is it must have been a pretty good amount because John is going to celebrate. We know he bought new clothes, silks, he entertained himself. Now, how a sailor would entertain himself in London, I do not know. I don't even want to guess. And he was the hero of the day. But he's going to go back. The first voyage was simply a reconnaissance. And so, Henry gives him another letter patent. He's authorized to take five ships. He also has packed on board trade goods for the savages, the squealings, the natives, caps, caps, somewhere they got in their mind that all of what we would call the Native American Indians wanted caps, beads, points, and other trade goods. And that these five ships left Bristol in 
Shortly thereafter, I do not know how many days we're talking about, of those five ships in the convoy, only one returned to England. And all they said was the other four were lost. The other four were lost. Not one. The other four were lost. That's Dr. Morrison's words in his book. What happened to them? People were never going to find out. I know most of you podcasters know about the lost colony, but here's a lost convoy. Now, there are those, just like the Lost Colony, that are very interested in finding out what happened to John Cabot and those four ships. One that I like to think of as the most famous was a historian in London by the name of Alwyn Ruddock, A-L-W-Y-N-R-U-D-D-O-C-K, born in 1916, and will die in 2006. She created herself as the historian of all of these discovering voyages. And she researched what happened to John, and she was convinced that John and the other ships did not sink, were not lost in a storm, but made it to America. She claims to found artifacts believe that if you want to. Who's my go-to historian on these voyages? He said they were lost. And that was the end of John Cabot by Dr. Morrison. But there's other stories too. Another story was that John himself was seen several years later in London, I guess still wearing those nice clothes still celebrating but here's another one here's another story my podcasters I got my bachelor's degree before most of you people were born I still remember those great professors I had at Stephen F. Austin State University oh there were some great ones If you had gone to SFA back in that day and you were in history, you knew who these people were. And I took them. And one of them, I don't remember which one, whether it's Dr. Nichols or Dr. Hines, told me something that I did not forget about Sebastian. Sebastian, according to this professor, was a liar. A liar. That he did take a voyage, he said, south, after his father had returned. 
and his father was lost. Drowned, I assume washed overboard. That's one story. Another one, of course, is that he was seen in London. But the one I'm sticking with is the one Dr. Morrison says. One ship came back and said the other four were lost. We don't know much about John. That's the reason he wasn't around as a famous person for very long. Now, what I thought I would do, podcasters, because this is a rather short class, is some of the spelling. Because I know among you podcasters, there's probably a few that are champions from the spelling bees when you were going to school. Now, these are some of the words that were in that letters patent that I read you. I which Dr. Morrison put them down just like they were spelled. And I'm going to call it Old English. Because it was English and it was a long time ago. So it was Old English. However, I've seen more recent Old English that I could not make heads or tails of. And I'll go on and tell you because people like Brian would want to know. The wife of the beekeeper. I bought, at great expense of less than $10, Bern von Steuben's drill manual. A podcaster, whether you're not driving and you're in a safe spot, I want you to raise your hand if you know who Bern von Steuben was. I know Brian does. Because I will tell you, when we get to Valley Forge with General Washington, I will tell you what he did. He trained that army. And what I bought was his drill manual. Could not wait to read it. Opened it up and could not read it. You know why, podcasters? Old, old, old English. I had some students that tried to read it. Oh, Mr. Stroud, they said, I can read it. And they came back rather quickly. Oh, I can't read it. But I can read this stuff. So there's Old English, Old English not quite as old as this English. I'll just tell you some of the words. You ready? When I said John Cabot, that is the, I call Anglo-Sized pronunciation of his name. But Dr. Morrison finds that the name Cabot was spelled different ways, especially as Italian. One was K-O-B-O-T-A. Here's one G-A-B-O-T-E. There were others, but you get the picture. Now here's one, I'm going to just spell it. S-A-Y-L-E. Sale. S-A-I-D-E. Now that's an easy one. Sad. C-O-S-T-E. Coast. S-E-E-K-E. Seek. F-O-W-E-N-D, found. N-E-W-F-I-E-S, 
those were Newfoundland mosquitoes. R-E-W-A-R-D-E, reward. I guess the English just really like the letter E. Well, beloved, W-E-L-B-I-L-O-V-E-D, S-E-I-D, said, C-I-P-A-N-G-O, Chapango, Japan, Kate, C-A-T-H-Y, China. Just some of the fun of reading the old letters patent. Well, that's it for the initial Voyager of England. Not much is known about him. And you see why. Lost. L-O-S-T. Dr. Morrison's word, lost. My podcasters, I want you to remember that word. L-O-S-T. I want you to remember that word. I enjoyed it. And the next man we're going to do, there's a little bit more known about him. And I am going to put on my Facebook a painting of him. And underneath the painting, I'm going to write down a man you did not want to trifle with. And you will see why when I put him on there. I'm going to put on a painting of Forbisher. Have a good day, podcasters. And I will be having class again soon.